Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect. Any booking, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. To find out how Booking Protect and you can partner to offer your guests more peace of mind, a better buying experience, and you can possibly create a new stream of revenue for your organization, visit BookingProtect.com. Now, today's guest is a friend of mine, Scott Spencer, from the Sweet Experience Group. And I wanted to have Scott on the, the Business of Fun because I wanted to talk to him a little bit about the how Sweet Experience Group works with organizations and arenas to sell premium seating. Premium seating is sort of where my background in tickets got a, a, a big jump, a big start um, when I worked with American Express on the uh, Centurion Card Concierge Program. So over the years, I've always kind of followed along to how and why people are buying and selling premium things, um, what the premium experience looks like, and how it can be improved. And what I think uh, Scott and his team have done is, you know, they've changed the dynamic of the relationship between sweet buyers and their consumers, or sweet sellers and the consumers, uh, buyers in the secondary market and sellers in the secondary market. And it's a really interesting business model that he has there. I also wanted to ask Scott about the changes in the tax law and how that's impl- uh, impacting selling premium experiences and suites. Um, we wanted to talk about why teams are choosing to work with him um, and a whole lot more. I hope you really like this conversation I had with Scott Spencer from the Sweet Experience Group on the Business Fun Podcast. I want to welcome Scott Spencer to the Business of Fun podcast. Scott, how are you? Great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Great to oh, be here. Absolutely. I hope we can squeeze in a full podcast before your new baby comes. Yeah. Yeah, we're counting down the minutes here. So I told my wife to send me a text and I'll, uh, I'll cut this off quickly if I need to rush to the hospital. Yeah, it would also I think it would make it exciting for everybody because I like I told you before we'll leave it completely unedited in this in the, in the podcast. Yeah, it, it would a, just it drop would the whole thing. It would be awesome. I'm, I, I'm rooting for it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so thank you for being here. Um, I thought it would be really cool to have you on because like when we were talking about this before, I said you know one of the great things about doing a podcast is I get to have conversations with people I like, and we've known each other for a couple of years. And I told you um, I, there were certain things I didn't even know about you before. Um, I started doing research for this. So if people aren't familiar with the Sweet Experience Group, can you give them a little bit of an overview about what you do and kind of like a little bit of your background? Because I I think it might be interesting to them. Yeah, so uh, Sweet Experience Group is a pretty simple business model. We partner with the companies and the high net worth individuals all around the country who have signed long-term suite leases at stadiums and arenas. And a lot of these companies are in their leases for 10, you know, in the extreme cases, 20 years, and they can't attend every single event over the course of the next 20 years. And what they do is they'll come to us and and we'll help them offset the cost of the lease on an event by event basis. So, um, you know, if they're a Minnesota Vikings suite lease holder, they may love, you know, to go to the Vikings games, but they can't use the concerts at at U.S. Bank Stadium. And um, so, so we've created a marketplace and a platform to allow for the buying and selling of suites on a game by game basis. And, um, and, uh, yeah, you know, in terms of how I got into this business, uh, I was, um, hired in 2009, the depths of the economic downturn to go work for, um, prime sport, 
which was at the time owned by Razor Gator, which is now defunct. And um, the thesis was we would create a national platform where teams and venues could post their inventory. And uh, the teams at the time were really struggling to, to sell their suite rental inventory. And so uh, we went, went out and signed a number of team partnerships. But the reality that I quickly learned was if the teams themselves can't sell their inventory, how are we supposed to sell their inventory? And um, so after about a year, I split off and started Sweet Experience Group with a very different business model, which was selling sweet leaseholder inventory. And uh, at the time, that was 2010, that was very taboo for sweet resale to occur. And um, so we were sort of the black sheep of the industry facilitating these deals for, for leaseholders to resell their suites on an event by event basis. And I've seen a pretty dramatic shift over the last eight years to the point we are today where teams are now embracing suite resale as a way for their leaseholders to get a better ROI on the suite. Um, but that's a, that's the quick backstory on how I got into this. Yeah. And it is interesting because I know that, um, you know, the, the views of the, the primary market towards the secondary market just in general have changed so much in the last decade or since 2009, which is basically a decade, you know, and, and you say just a second ago that you, they look at you differently now as more of a partner, as, as a way to help the, you know, the leaseholder recoup some of their investment. What are some of the tangible ways that the teams either view you differently or work with you differently now? Yeah, so so there's a few factors at play here, and I would start actually outside of the sports and, and ticketing industry into the broader sharing economy. And you look at the transformation of sectors that companies like an Airbnb have had on the hotel industry, and Airbnb has empowered homeowners to make incremental money on their home or their second home when they're not going to be there, or even if they are there at times, and uh, you know, similarly, a lot of these high net worth individuals who own luxury suites, they're also renting out their second home on Airbnb, and they've got an expectation that they can monetize it. And so uh, teams have started to, and it's been driven a lot by the leaseholder. Leaseholders are coming to the teams more and more and saying, hey, you know, there's 81 games in a baseball season. I just can't be there for every game. Can I, can I resell? And when they get more and more of these requests, they realize, hey, you know, we should probably come up with a solution beyond just telling our best customers who are paying us hundreds of thousands of dollars a year that you can't resell. And, you know, I'm really sorry. So we've now um, started to work more closely with the teams to say, hey, if you introduce sweet leaseholders to us, we will share the data back with you in terms of who's buying, who's selling, and we'll give you a rev share on sales so that we can work more collaboratively together. And this trend is actually happening also in the primary market too, where um, you've seen sort of a consolidation occur where there are bigger brokers coming in and doing direct partnership deals with teams and sharing a lot of the data. So I think the, um, the concept of data sharing, revenue sharing, plus suite leaseholders really being the, the major driver of their, their asking the teams for, for help here is, has been the, you know, the, the factors behind the shift. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because you've mentioned individuals a couple times and how much of the business that you're doing is individual driven and how much of it is business driven. And, you know, and the reason I ask you this, because does it change things at all for you? Yeah. You know, I would say on the whole, it's 80 percent corporate. Um, you can look at it on both the leaseholder and 
uh, in the buyer side. But let's start with the buyer side. I'd say 80% corporate, uh, 20% individual. Uh, but it does vary by event type. So NFL is almost entirely corporate, just given the price points of, you know, 20,000 plus. Uh, but, you know, baseball, people can afford for a birthday party, you know, a few thousand dollars oftentimes, or for, you know, a big college football game held at a pro stadium, uh, they'll pool together a bunch of alumni and, and do a suite. Um, on the leaseholder side, it's, it's roughly a similar mix. Uh, mostly corporations own the suites, but when an, an individual owns the suite, they're more likely to resell because one person or one family owning a suite, uh, it, it actually is a lot of effort and a lot of coordination and a lot of time to spend at a, at a venue if you own a suite. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and, it, and the reason I kind of asked it was because I know that a couple years back, it's probably maybe two years ago, I was talking with, I believe, I don't want to name the company, but it was a big corporate buyer. Right from um, a big firm that we all would know the name of, yep. And this person was saying, "Hey, look, you know the biggest chat. One of the bigger challenges that we deal with on the team side is service, right? And so, from the sounds of what you're talking about, your relationship with the teams and the buyers and everything else too, it seems like you might even be a better conduit for some of these relationships with with the with the buyers on the corporate side because, I mean." I, I just know from my own experience that on the team side, the resources put behind some of these um, developing customer relationships on the you know premium side, they haven't really um, they don't keep pace, or it's tough to keep the people it, you know in the positions for the long term because if they're doing well, they, and then somebody else comes along and picks them up, or um, right, know, or they end up moving into another position. Is that something you're finding as well, or is that like completely outside of the scope of what's going on? Yeah, you know, I, I think in general, my experience has been that the teams do a pretty good job on the, the service side and um, on, you know, the catering front and, and all that stuff. But what we do, because we want the customer to have a single point of contact, we'll hold their hand through the whole process. We'll place the catering order for them and, and be their single point of contact. Um, but you do speak to a um, another issue, which is... As a corporation who might be doing entertainment all around the country, it's actually pretty hard to know and hard to develop relationships with every different team and to be able to have a single view into all your options for entertainment in different cities. So we've become a resource for a lot of companies who want one point of contact to help them plan events in 10 different markets, for example, and they'll do be doing a road show or be doing a customer appreciation tour and uh, they don't necessarily want to have to do the coordination with 10 different entities. So um, so that's where companies, I think, for the future, they'll own a suite in maybe their home market, but then be supplementing with suites from the secondary market in, you know, in their ancillary markets. Yeah. I mean, that makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. I mean, because that's sort of some of the bigger successes that I've had on the secondary market was specifically because of that relationship right it's like they had a, they knew somebody in one market right if they were in new york but they didn't want to know the people in la or atlanta or wherever else and because it's just like it's too much time so i mean that right that makes complete sense to me so let me let me ask you this then like because it kind of lends into this this idea too of like ownership and revenue sharing and time sharing and the sharing economy and all of these things how much 
you know, are we going to see the multi-year lease evolve and change? Because it seems that, and this is outside of even tickets, that the, the idea of ownership and the idea of what you of what you consider ownership is changing tremendously. And you, you highlighted it even a little bit at the start. You know, so how much is that lease and that relationship going to change going forward? Yeah, I, I think it's it's going to change a lot. It's already getting harder and harder for venues to sign multi-year deals. And uh, I, I think that let's bucket this into two categories. First is when a, when a new building opens and then on an ongoing basis. When a new building opens, suite leases and long-term suite leases are going to remain a critical piece of the business model for the foreseeable future because the guaranteed revenue coming in from corporate suite lease buyers underwrites a lot of the bonds that, you know, uh, that are needed to finance the stadium. And so uh, that's not going to change. Interestingly enough, in the first year a venue opens, that's when we see a huge spike of suite leaseholders from that building contacting Suite Experience Group because they're going from zero to 60 in terms of their, their ownership and they do need to offset some of the cost. However, I think what's going to change a lot over the course of the next five or 10 years is the concept of an ongoing suite lease once you're in older buildings. I think renewing on a multi-year lease basis is going to be harder and harder for these venues. And um, and this also dovetails with what's happening with season tickets. Season tickets are becoming harder and harder for some teams to renew. And um, we've seen already the Oakland A's got really creative. I think they've you know just announced a new membership model that behaves a little bit differently than season ticket. And so um, to me, if I was uh, a senior executive at, at one of the teams, one of the ways I'd be thinking about this is if I can give, you, st- you know, it's in their interest to have locked in guaranteed revenue from a suite lease. And it's harder and harder to sign these if the, the leaseholder feels confident that they can offset a portion of the cost whenever they want to then they're more likely to sign that lease. So teams and venues over the next you know, couple of years should be thinking hard about how do they actually establish some liquidity in the secondary market so that they can allow leaseholders to offset the cost more easily. They benefit, the team should be benefiting from that by getting the data, by getting some of the revenue. But most importantly, it makes it a lot easier for the leaseholder to, to sign the long-term lease. So um, we'll see how it plays out, but you know, it's already, already getting more and more challenging. Yeah, it would, and it would, when you talk about the idea of getting, you know, using some kind of secondary liquidity or some kind of secondary partnership as a means to help accelerate the acceptance um, of the burden of a long-term lease, it just to me, it just seems wise that you they would view you more as a partner than um, you know even just somebody that is providing a service because the thing is is like if I am a, a corporation right and I know that. I can. I need to entertain. Let's say we use the Verizon Center, or I guess it's the Capital One Arena now in DC here, where I live. And yep. I know there's 200, yep. approximately 250 dates a year that get used, and I and I know that I, I would love to have access to the same space, the same time, all the time. But I can only really use 150 of those dates, right? Uh, yep. You know, having a partner on that that helps me offset these things is just way, way more valuable, and I think. And this is really where the question lies is I think sometimes there's a misconception about how people develop business on the secondary side because your your buyer, 
your potential buyer, your prospect, your lead is going to be much different than the team, the, the lead that the league has, or like the, the team, I'm sorry, the venue has. Um, or am I wrong? Yeah, you know, we, we get our business in two ways. Um, one is we have a number of big national accounts that, like I said, they'll buy from us in lots of different markets. And so that's incremental business for the teams because they're, um, they're looking to Sweet Experience Group to act in you know, sort of a consultative selling approach of where the best use of their dollars is going to be. And so um, these are often buyers that would have otherwise not been in, in that building. Um, the second you know, area where we, we get our buyers is through search engine optimization, and they'll find us on Google. And, um, and, you know, we're in the right place at the right time when they're looking. Oftentimes, though, the inventory that we're selling is when the team or the venue is already sold out. And uh, we're the only, um, only place where inventory can be had. So that's also incremental to the teams because that's a person, you know, a suite that would have otherwise gone empty um, or, you know, underutilized. And now there's somebody in there that's got a full suite buying the food and beverage and, you know, adding to the atmosphere in the venue. So, um, you know, it's it's generally, in, you know, incremental and, and beneficial for, for these teams. We're really, I think it's rare that we're stealing business away from them. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, because I know that my background was with the American Express black card being the ticket provider there. Yeah. But the people I was working with were probably fall, fell into that category like you said, with big national accounts, that they would just never be in the building if it wasn't for me. Right. And then so when you talk about that, I mean, that I completely get, but then you talk about SEO and being sold out a lot of times. How much of the business that you do is sold out or how much of it is like your ability to generate um, interest and people for events that aren't sold out? Well, you know, the definition of sold out is, is, is hard. Um, but I would say, um, that, uh, you know, teams, it, it varies by venue. Certain teams just simply don't have suite rental inventory to offer because they're all of their suites are offered on a, on a long-term lease basis. And so for, for those venues, um, uh, you know, and now you'll have like, for example, at Staples Center, you know, I think the for the Lakers, <laughs> LeBron, being there, they're going to be sold out very, very quickly for the year. Right. But then, you know, other venues are, you know, not sold out at all and have lots of rental inventory. And, you know, the approach there is, you know, we're offering something different. We're typically, you know, have a different location because we're, we're working with a leaseholder suite and we have a different price point usually given whatever that inventory is, but uh sold out to it's, it's tougher in the suite world than the, than the ticket world because sometimes there's only in general you know there might be one or two suites ever available at a venue instead of the thousands of tickets that are on the market for each game yeah and let me ask you this this question too because i know that there is a how do i want to put it there's the secondary market and then there's what you do right and how much you know how much overlap is there between from from probably from your partner's point of view between you and what people typically think of as the secondary market, as far as, you know, brokers buying and selling and like single tickets and all of these things. Yeah. I think there's a huge difference between the 
traditional broker model, which is buy tickets and then, uh, you know, hold those tickets for a period of time and then resell them hopefully at a higher price. Or if you've got to dump them at the last minute, you know, do that too. We don't own any inventory and we really do see ourselves as a partner to two entities. You know, the first entity is the team. We have started to strike formal partnership deals with a number of teams, but, uh, you know, we want to be a steward of their building and their suite leaseholders, who's, you know, our second primary constituent doing right by the suite leaseholders. That's where we get our inventory. And that's the only reason we're in business, because these leaseholders are trusting us to help them monetize their suite that they've spent a lot of money for. And so it's really a marketplace model is, you know, very different than the traditional broker model. Um, and so I draw inspiration from companies that are outside of the, the ticket industry. I mentioned Airbnb, um, you know, but companies that are just sort of turning, turning an industry on their head to provide real value to the customer. Um, a business school classmate, actually two business school classmates of mine started a business called Rent the Runway. And uh, it sounded like an insane idea at the time. They were going to rent high-end designer dresses for 10% of the retail price. And the people who wore them were going to ship them back so they could be worn again. Well, this business is now, I think the latest valuation was $800 million or maybe more. Um, but it's that sort of innovation, you know, from the customer perspective that we're trying to bring. We want to make it really, really, really easy for a customer to come onto the website and with a couple of clicks, book a suite. And that's never been the case in the past. But um, our website is now mobile, you know, friendly and and you can literally come on and in a few clicks, you've got a suite. So that's the that's the vision where we're taking this. And historically, the market's just been totally illiquid and very difficult. You got to jump through hoops to get a suite. Yeah, no, that I mean, that's unfortunately, if they don't, you know, in some cases, that's still the case. If they're not working with you know somebody like you, it it still can be very um, laborious, you know, in buying the suite. Um, you know, yep. so like any anywhere. I mean, I, I think you know, if we're talking business models, any t- place where we can remove friction has been seen to. Um, be beneficial in, in the modern economy because people just don't have patience for long drawn out sales processes anymore. Right. Um, yep. You know, and, and it sounds to me, I mean, and, and you know, and, and a little bit of doing the podcast with somebody I know already is like, I have to play a little dumb, but it just seems like, you know, that this is an extreme value add because you're marrying people from, you know, two sides, right? Like people who have something that there's no other way for them to, you know, use and find value from it minus letting it sit empty, which is, I mean, I guess you probably get a tax deduction um, and marrying people who would want to use the facility, but don't have the, the ability or the need or can't get a single site, you know, so that seems extremely valuable. And it does seem like you're marrying a market that wasn't there before. But I think when I talked, started talking about the taxes thing, you know, how much of an impact on the buying habits on both sides has the change in the tax laws had you know and like what is you know how is that changing the way that like you know buyers and sellers are are acting and also the way that the venues are having to deal with both you know with you and the people who are your partners and your customers yeah so as of january 1st 2018 uh tax uh, suites are no longer tax deductible for most corporations and so what that means it used to be a 50 percent deduction similar to the uh, food uh, write-off that you can take, and that's gone away. So 
Uh, it's still we're still early to know the full impact that it's going to have because we haven't gone through a full tax cycle. And I actually think a lot of consumers are still not fully educated on this, even you know being a part of the, the new tax code, which is obviously pretty complicated. Um, with that said, the early indications are that more sellers are going to be, or more leaseholders are going to be looking to sell their suite. So on our platform, we're seeing a ramp up in the inventory available. But I think obviously you take the opposite side of the coin and it's a more expensive suite now for the buyer because they can't take a 50% deduction. So uh, I think it's going to be on the whole sort of for our business, uh, a net net neutral implication. But, you know, overall, I think for the consumer, it's too bad they can't write it off. It's, you know, sort of a negative thing for for our industry overall. And um, uh, and we'll probably see sweet prices going down, especially on the primary market as a function of this over time. And um, and, uh, you know, let's let's check back in about, you know, April 15th next year once taxes are due and we'll see if there's, you know, an even bigger hullabaloo about it. Yeah, and, and and that opens up something because you know as I was asking the question, I thought about a kind of back and forth I'd been having over the last couple of weeks about the value in the premium suite experience or the premium, the luxury, you know, loge experience, whatever. And you you mentioned something that's really interesting to me because I feel like in a lot of cases it's almost a knee jerk reaction, right? If people are talking about the, the tax deduction, right, as being like one of the only incentives to purchasing a suite or purchasing a, you know, any kind of premium inventory from from a venue. And then you say that prices are going to go down over time. To me, that seems to express something similar to, I don't know how much value is created in some of these products to begin with. And the question for me is like, well, what can we do, you know, overall to increase the value? Because I know that I was doing an activity before we got on the podcast today that I was looking for ways to, um, you know, what was the most beneficial ways for me to network or me to build business and, and develop business mm-hmm. for myself. And one of them was networking. And mm-hmm. I've always felt that like the person to person aspect of these things was probably one of the most powerful reasons to have a premium seats or um, do any of the premium aspects of sports and entertainment is because you have a chance to network and mingle with people that you might not otherwise yet you know, it sounds like some, like a lot of these decisions, those things aren't being emphasized and like, how is there anything you can do or is there anything like that you have been trying to encourage to help make sure that there's like sort of integrity in the value that's seen from the, you know, from these, these suites and all these yeah. premium products. Yeah. You, you make a, a really good point actually. And I, I was a, um, an economics major in college. So I like to think about this on sort of a linear supply demand curve. And, and as you said, you know, if the supply side is somewhat fixed, then how do you, you know, the, the, the clearing price is based on the demand. So if you want to keep the price high, how do you ramp up demand for your product? And, you know, the teams and the venues are actually the ones that have the most power in this. And they've done a pretty good job of throwing in more and more bells and whistles over time. And I think we're going to see, um, uh, you know, even more specialization and customization of suites. So over the last, uh, you know, five or so years, we've seen a lot of venues put in these loge boxes, which are a smaller product to cater still to a business audience, but who might not need a 20 person suite, they need a four or a six person premium option. Um, you know, you see them including things like um, 
on-field visits before an NFL game as part of the package for a, a sweet lease. They'll take people on a team trip once a year to an away game. Uh, and so teams have done a lot of creative things. Um, and, for example, the Houston Texans created Houston Texans Lux, which is actually a whole bit business networking program where, um, you know, if you're a sweet leaseholder, you're also sort of indoctrinated into this community of like-minded, you know, Houston area business uh, people that you can network with. And so I think that realization that a sweet lease is great, but it should be something that's, you know, beyond the eight NFL home games a year. It's a 365 day a year thing. And, and that's a way to really increase the price that you can charge for a lease and give people a real reason to be a leaseholder as opposed to buying on an event by event basis. Yeah. I mean, then that completely makes sense to me. And it's, um, you know, it's good to know that there's examples like in Houston, and I know I've seen the Dolphins do something similar. And, you know, and I think it's it's not just good for price integrity. It, you know, it's also, and I know that there's probably not an economic principle for perceived value, but as a mar- as somebody who was a marketing major, uh, perceived value is basically all I'm working with. Uh, it increases the perception of value, which, you know, helps on right. the economic side as well. Yeah. Now, increases the willingness to pay for sure. That's exactly right. So both the economist and the marketer win in this case. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so what's next for for you know like what's going to be the next step in the evolution of your business? Because I, I know you know, and this is probably maybe I don't know if we touched on it nearly enough here, but you know, with the tax changes, with the uh, more of the embrace of you know a, a platform like yours, you know what? How how is your do you see your business evolving over the next year or two, or where do you look? Or where are you looking at so? some opportunities or things you're thinking about? Yeah. So we're, um, you know, taking two, two approaches. One is, like I said already, we want to make it easier and easier for people to purchase a suite and know exactly what they're getting and, um, and be able to, to do those transactions online. The second piece is, um, is working more and more collaboratively with teams. So we're in, um, partnership and, 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 you know, discussions with a lot of, of, uh, of teams across, you know, the, the four major sports here in the U S and, um, just being, you know, a partner makes sense for all of us based on the, the discussions that we've been having, because, um, sweet resale is happening, whether the teams and the venues like it or not, their leaseholders are reselling. And so it just makes sense for everybody to be aligned in the, in the Number one, the acknowledgement that that resale is taking place, and then number two, how can everybody, you know, benefit from from that, including the teams and the venues. Um, and so, you know, I think we'll um, we'll be announcing more team partnerships here pretty soon, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. And, and let me ask you, I think one one final question here because I, I, I probably I missed it when we were first talking about it, but you were talking about sharing the data, and I had a and you know how much. I mean, I know data is great. Everybody talks about data. My question is, like, from your point of view, handing the data over, how effective mm-hmm. have people been in using the data? Yeah, you know, we've actually had some teams that have taken um, customers that we've sold, um, sold, you know, game by game events to, and they've gone in and shaken their hands and actually converted them to a long term leaseholder. At, at that venue, and then then that leaseholder ends up reselling on our platform for select games. So, uh, for us, it's you know a win to 
you know, to share the data, if they end up being a leaseholder, that's good for us too, you know? So, um, yeah, but you know, it runs the gamut. It, it takes effort and work to go into those suites and shake their hand and, and make the, the relationship. But most teams that we're sharing the data with are, are doing that. You know, the, there's a salesperson on their side that obviously is eager and, and hungry to, to build more relationships with buyers. Right. So, and I really, and I asked that because as you were talking about what's going next, which is going to be more collaboration, it seems like the importance of making sure that the data is being used effectively um, is kind of a necessity to make sure that a collaboration and a partnership works effectively. Because if you, you know, if you're working, you know, busting your busting the hump to collect data and build relationships and generate business, and then the partner on the other side is not necessarily using data and effectively and uh, extending that relationship, yeah. it's just a missed opportunity. Yeah. And I think the m- most powerful piece of data from the team perspective about the secondary market is the knowledge of who is selling. Because if they can know who's selling suites, then uh, they're going to be able to, to have a, a strategy going into renewal time about what the right product is for that person, knowing how many events they attended versus sold, um, how much money they were able to recoup in the resale. And, you know, going in with eyes wide open on a, on a renewal discussion is a lot easier than, you know, just having no idea that, hey, this company actually sold 30% of their games and they're potentially at risk of not renewing. So, so I think the renewal side is even more important than the, um, than the you know, game by game buyer data, which is also valuable. Yeah, it, it's not just, and to me, it's not just who is selling, but it's like also how much. Because again, yep. if we're talking about value and a value proposition and the perception of value, you know, you know, that's going to change over time. And knowing somebody's having to sell their suite or lease it out, you know, 50 or 75% or 20% of the time is extremely valuable as well because it probably creates other opportunities for you for more short term things, which again, if you have more, uh, if they have more leaseholders, it gives you more opportunity, and it, you know it helps make sure that those things are are full, which is great for the perception of value for not just suite holders and luxury buyers, but just for everybody in the building. Because we all know that like nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't want to hold you because I'm sure that this baby's probably coming in the next fifteen or twenty minutes. <laughs> but, but how can people yeah. find you, find you find out more about you and what SEG is up to? Yeah, um, Sweet Experience Group. Our website is www.sweetexperiencegroup.com. S-U-I-T-E. And uh, you know, uh, my contact info is actually on the website. Would love to love to chat. Um, you know, I know you have a wide range of, of listeners. Uh, everybody from the team side to the um, the corporate side to the secondary market side. Um, so um, would love to continue the dialogue with, with any of your listeners that it makes sense to. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I know you and I'm not, this was not, this is in no way meant as a sales pitch, but I mean, I think what you offer is extremely valuable for people because it just makes it easier for, uh, you know, people, you know, on the primary side to sell, to sell the suites. And then it also, you bring an entirely different market to the relationship. You know, and, and that's what's always appealed to me about what you're doing, because it's like probably as far as a business goes today, the most similar to what I did with the American Express Black Card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate the kind words. Of course. All right. Well, Scott, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you as well. And uh, 
have a good rest of your day, and I'll let you know. If, if the baby arrives in the next 10 or 15 minutes, you'll be the first to know, all right? We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I want to thank my guest, Scott Spencer, once again for being on the Business of Fun podcast. As always, you can find out what I'm up to by visiting my website. That's www.davewakeman.com, where you can find my daily blog. You can see a list of all the stuff I'm up to. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. That's at David Wakeman. As always, if you like the podcast, I'd love it if you would visit iTunes, Stitcher, uh, or any of the places where you get podcasts and subscribe and leave a review. It helps a lot. And once again, I want to thank our sponsors. Booking Protect. Any booking, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered. To find out how you can offer your guests a better buying experience, more peace of mind, and you can also create a new stream of revenue for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. And until next time, thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again soon. Take care.